Dave Barge, alcoholic. Hey. Can't introduce a speaker and then go <laughs> leave him up here all by himself. <laughs> Nervous. <laughs> Good to be here. Good to see you guys. Uh, I come out in this area every once in a while, and it's, uh, so I see some smiling faces that I that I recognize, and it's always good to see some people you know. Good for me, it's not so good for them, but it's good for me. And, uh, I was enjoying all the beginnings of the meeting. Uh, listen to different readings you do. I, uh, I'm real tired tonight, so, I'm, so when I get tired, I get picky. Is anybody like that? <laughs> and so I'm listening to everything that's said up here, and everybody's reading, and uh, so you guys read chapter three, and then you read chapter five, and that's incorrect. <laughs> I don't know why you're doing it that way. That's my head talking. I got these little voices, you know. Sometimes I have to get popcorn and feed them the popcorn. And, but in the annuals of Alcoholics Anonymous, chapter five was read at one of, the, one of some of the first meetings once it got out of the house in Westwood, when we got to the hotel. The guy didn't was leading the meeting, didn't know what to do. So he opened the book and started reading chapter five in Los Angeles. And that's got around the world now. Not everywhere, but around the world. So some people would read just the steps, some people read a portion of chapter five. Then first woman in Alcoholics Anonymous in LA was named Sybil, and she had a brother named Tex. And Tex was a, a truck farmer. That meant you had a lot of guys working for you, that you throw on a truck and you'd go to people's farms and pick the salary all that stuff and he, he brought all those guys to the meeting and they would never let him talk so he was sober for a year or two without they wouldn't let him talk when i'm saying anything so he went and started a meeting in the hole in the ground and because the other meetings in alcoholics Thomas read chapter five he read chapter three does this sound alcoholic to you <laughs> so i would never tell a group that other than I'm sitting here tonight, tired, and I'm saying, geez, what are they doing here? This is a newer meeting. It's not an old school meeting. And uh, like that really matters. We still got our two new guys here. How many days you got? 25 days. Seven. Seven? How many nights you got? <laughs> He's got about 25. We're going to get this narrowed down. Yeah. <laughs> I'm from the South Bay. It's a different. We're not Orange County people. not even New York people. You know, we, we do this day and nights and days and nights. <laughs> got to be precise on this stuff. I have, uh, I have 18 days today. So I'm between you guys. So I'll follow him and you follow me. And we'll see where we go. You know. Uh, 18 days is a long time for a guy like me, right? 18 days. Anybody else count their days here? Who's got who's got months here? Anybody got months? How many months you got? Four. Four months. Nine. Nine months. Who else? Eleven. Eleven months. Three. Three months. Eight. Eight. People over here are not sober on this side. <laughs> <laughs> They're just trying to come along. They they heard there was cake and cookies here. Thought they would come in. That's good. I have one month, so I have 18 days in one month. So us people with months, we got responsibility. Tonight we got two new guys here. It's up to us people with months that just raise their hands. We're the ones that got to show these guys the way we do this thing. 
We're the ones who got to be here to greet them, show them where the cookies and the cake are. And make sure they don't leave the meeting without getting one of our phone numbers. Maybe us getting their phone number. We call them, check up. How about years? Anybody got years here? Shout them out. How many years you got? Seven. 34. How many? Nine. Nine. 17. Two. Two. Six. Six. 26. 26. 33. Six. 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 How many? Bingo. Bingo. Awesome. I knew I heard something. Didn't know what it was. I have 50 years. 50 years. Long time for a guy like me. It's a long time for everyone that raised their hand and said how many years they had. It's a long time. It's not a contest. It's not a contest. It's a contest for themselves, isn't it? But I have a guy that I have a lot of years, a lot of years sober for a guy like me. And I have I have my month now. Some of us have months, but we don't do this by years and months, do we? We do it by days, just like we're asking you guys to do this. I have 18 days today. That's what counts. And uh, so I'm glad to be here. I wish we'd have had a, we had all these chips and stuff. When I first got sober, they had a meeting. They, they gave me a white chip. That meant surrender. When they gave me the white chip, I don't know I was surrendering. But if they'd have told me that, I would have took the chip. Yeah, you know, I don't want to surrender. But uh, chips have been around a long time. So uh, I went to Bang Tim. He's, he's my road dog. He and I go every place. And, uh, Tim was at my wedding years ago. And he was at the divorce. <laughs> Tim was at another wedding. He was at that divorce. Tim was one of the guys that came and picked me up at my house to take me to an AA meeting to take my sober birthday cake. And he put me in the hospital instead. And he did all kinds of crazy stuff to me. That was Tim. I got out of there. Tim, another time, Tim put me in the hospital and they did surgery on me and did all kinds of crazy stuff. It's taken me a while to figure out, you know, Tim's bad luck. <laughs> so who's the man with me? It's Tim, I think. <laughs> That's the way it goes. I uh, I first come to AA in Charlotte, North Carolina. I was uh, on a drunk in uh, I was living in Charlotte. I was a Redondo Beach guy at that time, and I'd, uh, my my wife and I was having some problems. And I came home from work to start that story. I guess I came home from work, and all my stuff was on the front porch. And there was a couple of cops there giving me a restraining order. Couldn't go in my own house. In my own house, these cops said I couldn't go in there. My wife had got this restraining order after all I'd done for that woman, and all I planned on doing for her. Yeah. And I'm trying to bust in there and get get in there, and they're going to arrest me. These guys. And my Harley was parked in the kitchen. They wouldn't even let me get in to get my scooter out. I put the newspapers down there because my wife was always mad at me because that Harley was leaking oil all the time. So I didn't even put the papers down there. They wouldn't let me get my own Harley. And I remember it was daylight. All the neighbors had to be watching me, right? Because, you know, I'm the attraction in the neighborhood. Everybody knows what I'm doing, right? You know, that embarrassed me. Yeah. I'm kind of a guy that's real simple. It's like, you hurt me, I hurt you. You don't have to think about it. She hurt my feelings. So I 
went and got a room for a couple of days and drank on that. And I went to school and got our, our two boys, her two boys, we had four kids at the time, two boys, two girls. I took those boys from, from the South Bay and I took them to Charlotte, North Carolina. Didn't tell her, didn't tell the school, didn't tell nobody. And I went to work in construction back there making cash. So I'm not getting checks. You can't find me anywhere. So I was there with her boys for a long time. Everybody going nuts all over the world looking for me. I, I didn't really care. But the next thing, my wife and kids got back there and, and they came in on Christmas. And uh, so we were all there. And so we were going to make it this time. You guys ever had one of those things? This time, this time. You know, we're going to be in there. I got a job. We're working. Everything's good. I got money coming in. I'm not running with all those guys I've been running with. All those guys, all that money to, they ain't around. Heard this time, this time I'm going to be the father and the husband I've been planning on doing. And so we went out in Charlotte and got a big house. Uh, uh, and I got a big house on three and a half terraced acres. I had my own little pond. I had my own little forest. It's real big in Charlotte. We had your pond and your forest and all that stuff. I never went out there, but I had it all, you know. And had a front porch because everybody down south, Seemed like they had a front porch. They all sat on the front porch and drank and partied, did stuff on their front porch. Well, I'd never had a front porch, but when I rented that house in Charlotte, I made sure I had a big front porch. I even had a back porch. I had a double porch house. And we stayed there in January, got along the whole month. It was like a record, you know. We got along the whole month. It was just wonderful. February 10th rolled around. That's my belly button birthday. And they had a big party planned for me. Going to my party, it was a big event in my life. That we're a family and we're gonna make it this time, this time, this time, and everything is good. And I went to work that day and I was coming home from my party that night. And I stopped with one of my foreman, maybe a half a mile, a few blocks from my house and had a couple shooters on my birthday. You know, it's my birthday. Well, I got home late for dinner. I got home late for Easter dinner. I know I was late because they were just picking up the dishes when I walked in. Now, I don't know how many days it is between February 10th and Easter, but that's how many days I was gone. And my boss and his wife was at my house. They were all having dinner. He was glad to see me because I'd been gone this time on his credit cards. You know, it's, I like to party on somebody else's dime, you know. You know, I was in a company truck and traveling around. And uh, they decided that I was had a drinking problem. I was an alcoholic. You know, your family turns on you. Mm -hmm. So they said I had to go to this place called Alcoholics Anonymous. And I said, I'm, I'm not that bad. <laughs> and uh, I don't have a drinking problem. My only problem is you people, leave me alone. And, uh, so we had words. So they finally decided that my boss, boss's wife and my wife called AA. They said, it'd be two guys out to see me in about an hour or so. So I went out on the front porch where my bar was. I cleaned the bar, cleaned the glasses, picked up the papers, got ready for these two guys to come. And they came in, introduced themselves. Hey, how you doing? Everything was good. Asked them what they wanted to drink and they wanted coffee. And I said, good, what do you want in it? They wanted cream and sugar. Cream and sugar. I said, man, I can fix your coffee up. I had my bar out of the front porch. What do you want? You know, they wanted cream and sugar in their coffee. I'm thinking, Jesus, I made the wrong two bags. What am I going to do with these guys? I knew nothing about AA. I don't know if I'd ever heard of AA or Alcoholics Anonymous. And so these guys want to talk to me. They don't even drink. So then we're out there talking, we're out there, and there's one guy over here, one guy over here, and me over here, sitting out on my, my porch there, and one of them asked me a question over here, he'd say, how do you get along with your wife? I was waiting for him to ask me about my drinking, never did. How do you get along with your wife? Well, I was thinking up the answer, the guy over here said, probably not so good, huh? How do you get along with your kids? Probably not so good, huh? How do you get along at work? 
probably not so good, huh? He said, hey, guys, they ask all the questions, they answer all the questions. <laughs> I ain't never said a word to anybody. And then they smoked all my cigarettes. <laughs> so you might get people to have your own cigarettes. And then they decided that I need to go to this meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous with them. And I said, fine, yeah, tell me where it is, I'll meet you there. And they said, no, we're gonna go home and change clothes. Because in those days you dressed to go to meetings. We're going to go home and change clothes and come back and pick me up and take me to the meeting. I said, no, I'll meet you at the meeting. He said, no, we're going to go home and change clothes and pick you up and take you to the meeting. I said, no, I'll meet you at the meeting. He said, no, we're going to go home and change clothes and pick you up. To the... These guys are persistent. I was going to this meeting. I got the wife and the kids all peeking around the corner. So I went there and uh, they came back and got me. We went into this room, this big church in Charlotte, had about a million people in it, I think. And we got in just as the meeting was starting. There was a lot of driving involved. And we, I sat in the back row. And he was back there, just sitting there, minding my own business, trying hopefully not to be seen, you know. Remember your first meetings? And the leader called, are there any newcomers here? So I'm looking around, see who they are. These guys picked me up and sent me down the aisle. This guy handed me the white poker chip. He said, this is a signifier that you're now, right now, a member in good standing of Alcoholics Anonymous. And he handed me the chip. Hell, I barely sat down, I'm already in. You people are easy. People were easy. Then he helped a red chip. He said, we call this a stop chip. If you don't drink for 90 days, you can earn this chip. But if you decide to drink, swallow the white chip first. I didn't think that was funny. <laughs> big, big poker chip. So then I went sit, go down the aisle and sit down. He didn't talk to me anymore. And I got all the way to the back and I'm sitting on my right. And on the left side, in the middle of the back row was my neighbor. Here I am going to Alcoholics Anonymous, and who's there? My neighbor was right there. My neighbor, the guy lived right next door. You know, the neighbor just had me arrested? That neighbor. <laughs> Not the nice guy that kept his mouth shut on the other side, but that one of you people had me arrested. See, in down south, they not only have, they have a lot of stuff, they have front porch and stuff, but they all have big lawns and big yards and stuff. And they all have riding lawnmowers. So I went to Sears, got me a craftsman riding lawnmower, candy up a red with pinstripes, the color of my day. And the problem is, is that my neighbors would get up seven o'clock Saturday morning and they go out and they get their lawnmowers and clippers and they clip all the little bushes and mow their lawns and they do all that stuff. I'm a construction worker. Seven o'clock Saturday morning is not a good time for me. Because if you stop for a quick one on Friday night after work, a lot of times you're just getting home seven o'clock Saturday morning. It's not a good time to mow the lawn. But now it's Sunday night and the bars close at one. You go home, you get your pint of bourbon, get your lawnmower, you mow your lawn. <laughs> it's a warm, humid Charlotte night. Everything down south, warm, humid. They got stars. I'm from LA. We don't have stars. They got stars everywhere. And they got all these little bugs flying around sparking. They're just all sparking, you know? You get your bourbon, you mow your lawn, everything is good. This neighbor, one of you people call the cops on me. I don't know, two or three in the morning. Next thing, this guy in a squad car pulls right up on my freshly mowed lawn. Gets out, if you've been down south, they all wear them big smoky to bear hats. You know, the guy jumps out of the car and he takes about 30 minutes to adjust the hat, to get the hat just right. Then he comes over and starts hollering at me. And I'm trying to slow the guy down and trying to explain to him, buddy, you just parked your car on my lawn, your squad car, on my lawn, my lawn. And this is my lawnmower. 
and I can mow my lawn anytime I feel like it. This guy just kept hollering at me. And I had the, my story. I kept telling the same thing. He just couldn't get the concept, I guess. The next thing he went to show me his gun, so I showed him mine. <laughs> he took off and he hid behind his car. He said, get mowing my lawn. I'm, when I'm mowing my lawn, that's what I'm doing. I'm mowing my lawn. He called all his buddies. They all showed up. And they had the big hats and they had big guns. I had big guns too, but I never got in the house to get, get mine. Here I am hogtied on my own new freshly mowed lawn. Here I am here looking around. I'm here in a room full of axe murderers. I got arrested for mowing my lawn. This is not a tough guy story. So that's how I started in Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, I'm in this meeting and I'm just going crazy. And then they had a guy taking the cake for 30 years and they all wanted to sing happy birthday to him. The bars I've been hanging in, we didn't do a lot of happy birthday stuff to people, you know? And this guy, they were so happy. He'd been here 30 years, sober 30 years. And they want me to go meet this guy. And I'm thinking, the guy's been here 30 years and he ain't cut this down yet. Why do you want to meet him? You know? And then I thought, well, wait a minute, I got the white chip, maybe I could help him. <laughs> yeah. So I met him, and then the meeting went on, and then a little while later, we sat down, and they were going to have a speaker. And the guy got up there to speak, and I'd heard the guy during the, when I was meeting this, the guy for taking a cake. The year right now is 1969, April of 69, and the big book came out, the first printing, April of 1939, so that's when he got sober, so they thought that was a big deal, you know? <laughs> So here's this guy, big tall guy, and I heard him talking. They were talking about, he went to Duke or Wake Forest, one of those colleges, you know, and, and, and they were talking about country clubs and all that stuff. And he had this nice suit and tie on, nice wingtip shoes, his haircut, just, you know, he was, in my eyes, he was everything that I'm not, everything that I'm not, he was. And I was thinking, I got to get out of here. What, what, is, what am I going to listen to this fool for? I don't know nothing about country clubs, Duke, Wake Forest. I got married when I was in the ninth grade. That's how far I went. I never owned a suit and tie in my entire lifetime at that time. I wouldn't know how to tie a tie if you gave me a tie. What am I going to listen to this guy for? What is he going to say that has anything to do with my life or me? Right away, I was different than him. But he didn't talk about Wake Forest or Duke or wingtip shoes and country clubs when he was up there talking. He was talking about his alcoholism. He told the whole group about, about him, about how he felt, about what was going on with him. He told people how he felt. You never give up that information, do you? You don't go around telling people how you're feeling. You don't never do that. You hold that stuff in, don't you? He talked about how his family would talk about him. They talked about him like he wasn't even there. What are we going to do with David? Should we put him back in Metropolitan State? What should we do? Should we call the cops? What should we do? What should we do with David? My family talked about me like I wasn't even there. I knew what he was talking about when he said that. My family was talking about people talking about me. I'm not even, you know, like I don't even exist. He would treat me like, a, like I'm in an old chair or something. That I don't even belong there. He talked about how he had people he cared about, cared about in his life. And he just, how many times could he tell him, I'm sorry, I won't do it again. I'm sorry, I've learned my lesson. How many times could he tell him, this time, this time we're gonna make it, this time. Know that I love you, know that I care. How many times did he know that he was connected to these people, that they were connected to him and the connection kept getting broken. He couldn't maintain that connection 
to the people he cared about, the people around him, just couldn't maintain that connection. And he wanted to so bad. He talked about he had to hold this hole in the middle of his stomach. Our good members here would call it a soul sickness. Soul sickness. For me, I had a hole right in the middle of my gut. I had this emptiness, this emptiness that I could never fill with stuff. Could I drink enough? Could I fight enough? Could I create enough trouble? What could I do to keep this hole filled, this emptiness that just was there all the time? And this guy talked about that, and I left my first meeting with a stomach ache. Because I didn't know about those things, but I experienced them all. These guys come the next day and pick me up. I said, where are we going? So we're going to a meeting. I said, I already went to a meeting. What are you talking about? We went yesterday. That was yesterday. And so they took me off to another meeting. We got to that meeting, and that meeting had all these people standing at the front door. And they all come in. You all shake your hand, put their arms around you, pat you, ask your personal questions. Hi, how are you? <laughs> how do you answer that question? Is that in the big book? Hi, how are you? They all ask you that. And then in those meetings, at the end, they're not smart like you guys. You guys got a, you guys got a good treasure. You've got a new car. Everything's, you know. <laughs> they, they would, at the end of the meeting, they'd pass the basket. And you put your buck in the basket, and the next thing, somebody is holding your hands and you're saying prayers. I don't hold people's hands. Men or women, don't, I don't want to be touched. Don't touch me. And I don't do prayers. God and I was not on speaking terms when I come to Alcoholics Anonymous. But the people just grab a hold of you and say the prayer. And then you try to get out the door and then they get you in the parking lot and talk to you some more. So I learned right on real early. If the meeting starts at seven, come about five after seven. <laughs> You don't have to do all those greeters. You don't have to answer all those questions. Hi, how are you? I used to tell them, sometimes they'd ask me, hi, how are you? And I tell them, I look at my eye and say, you know, I'm not too good. I'm hanging out with you, ain't I? <laughs> I was a real catch here, you know. They ain't need to be. <laughs> so I would, meeting starts at seven, come about five after, so you don't have to do all those greeters and all that stuff. At the end of the meeting, Put your buck in the basket and get the hell out of the meeting real quick. Got to be quicker than to be holding your hands and doing prayers. I want to tell you, got to be quick. So those prayers will get you. And so I'd come a little late to the meeting and I'd leave a little early for the meeting. And I came a little late and I left a little early and it worked fine for all those things. It didn't work if I wanted to stay sober. It didn't work for that part. So I got 89 days because I was going to earn that red chip. That was the, said that was the big one. The 90 day was the big chip when I got sober. And I made it 89 days. I couldn't make it anymore. So I lied and said I had 90 and got the red chip. I showed it to every bartender between Charlotte, North Carolina, and Redonda Beach. Said, Look at you. I'm a graduate of alcoholics now. Anything you want to know about AA, you ask me. They got these educated guys, beautiful women. What do you want to know about AA? Why? Where did I know? And, uh, Forgot those wife and kids again. I keep forgetting those people. You know, big, big things there. And got back to California and you know, went to jail for a little bit and got out of there and, and came back to AA. The people in Charlotte, North Carolina had called the people in, in Redondo Beach. People in Redondo was trying to sell me the same book that they were trying to sell me in Charlotte, North Carolina. The same book. Now, I had already had a lot of books, so I didn't buy one of those, you know. And now they're trying to sell me the same thing. And they have, they have all these greeters 
Same thing. They have all these prayers at the end. Same thing as the people in Charlotte. The only difference was in Charlotte after the meeting, you'd go for ice cream. In California, you go for coffee. I like Charlotte better, ice cream. So I had to use the David Barge system. Come a little late, leave a little early. Come a little late, leave a little early. 1969, 1970, 1971, 1972. Come a little late, leave a little early. Sit off the corner by myself and stay away from people and just try not to. In those days, you heard a lot. Don't drink, don't drink. If your butt falls off, don't drink. You know, I said, okay, I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to drink. And then I did 10 days or 12 or 15 or 30 or 40. I don't know. And then I, I wind up drinking again. And I thought I could do the stuff that looked good to me. I would do on my own. I didn't get a book. I didn't get a sponsor. I just came in and out in and out. I finally, my, I had a little pricing business and, you know, guys put me in a flop house in Gardena, California. I couldn't drive anymore. It was just a lot of us in bad shape. And I stayed in that room and I had anything to drink or anything to use that you guys have ever had just about. That's a big thing to say. And it's, it's some of you guys have done some weird shit in here. <laughs> I'm weird, right? It's weird with some of you. How do you measure that, right? But uh, I stayed in that room and, and drank and drank and drank and, you know, it never lasted. I got on a horrible bad drunk, horrible bad drunk for a guy like me. Each and every drink I ever took my whole life, I wanted to be something or somebody else. I only drank, my, my thing was, I didn't want to be David. If I could be you, if I could be you, I'd be okay, but I'm never going to be okay as being David. And I never wanted to feel the way I felt. I'm a guy that has never liked now, now, right now, I don't like now. And I, I, never, I never really drank, I don't, my, I, I don't say that I wanted it to feel better, I just wanted to feel different. I was always unhappy with wherever I was, whatever it was, discontented. One of our words from the book, and that was me. I want to be something or somebody else. And I was in that room on that drunk and, 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 I was, and I couldn't get drunk and I couldn't get sober. And I, I drank and drank and drank and I was just there, just me. And I knew I was David Barge, I knew where I was at. And I got to a point, I knew life was over. I just couldn't go on anymore. I just freaking couldn't go on anymore. What do you do then? What do you do? I've been to Alcoholics Anonymous. I've been to psychiatry. I've been locked up. I've been, I've been, I've been, I've been. But I decided to kill myself. The only way out. But I have a wife and five kids. Who's going to take care of them? So I said, what I'll do is I'll, I'll kill my wife because she needed killing. <laughs> we got married when she was 14 and I was 16. I had four kids with her when I was 20 which meant she was 18 or 19 when she had four kids with me. I started drinking on a daily basis when I was eight and being locked up when I was nine and 10. I shot my first guy when I was 15. I was a vision for you as a young guy. And now I'm in this room gonna kill my wife and kids to get out, to get out. So should I kill my, I'll kill my wife and kill my sons and my daughters. I had three sons and two daughters. I said, no, I'll, I'll, I'll kill my wife and I'll kill my sons and then I'll kill myself. I'll let the girls spend for themselves. And I remember thinking, no, I'll kill my wife and I'll kill my daughters because guys going to do to my daughters what I did to their daughters. And I got to save my daughters from these guys. So I'll kill my daughters and let the sons spend for themselves. I was trying to make a decision who to kill and who not to kill. <laughs> I couldn't make the decision. I wasn't big on decisions. 
was laying in that bed. I didn't make the decision to get out of that bed and go to the bathroom either. I just went where I was. How's the guy with my pride wind up like that? I could ask each and every one of you in here how you wound up where you wound up. Think of that. Where did you, where did you wind up? Your alcoholism. I had a lot of voices going on in those days and I tried to shut them off and I, I heard the serenity prayer in my head and I was trying to say the serenity prayer that I'd heard in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I knew I wasn't saying it right, but I was trying to say it. And then somewhere in there, I, I had the thought, what I'll do is I'll, I'll get out of this room and I'll, I'll go to, back to Alcoholics Anonymous and I won't drink. I'll go there and I won't drink and I can decide who to kill and who not to kill. So I hope that fits our third tradition because that's what I came for. I detoxed myself. I've been detoxed many times and, and he talked to myself and I walked from Gardena to Hawthorne to a club in Hawthorne. I sat in the back in the corner. Uh, I had very long hair and a long beard. I had sores all over me. I had uh, no teeth. I had a pants and shirt that I've been regurgitating in, defecating in and urinating in for a long time. Long green filthy overcoat on with my hand in my pocket, my 38, because you're going to kill your, your wife and kids. You got to have your peace with you, right? And I sit there and shook it out. You didn't bring me coffee. You didn't tell me I was the white blood of the program. I don't remember that. But, but you let me stay. But you let me stay. And I sit there and shook it out, trying to trying to figure out who to kill, who not to kill. And so I went to meetings there when they had meetings, I guess. I guess I went there when they didn't have meetings. I was just there. Then they leave me at my own little corner, my own little spot. I mean, I'm, I'm sober a long time now. And I'm still looking over to that corner. It's... That was my corner, you know. Trying to decide what to do. Like I had the power to do something. Like I had the power to do something. I was going to need some high rows to do. And so oh, this timer's about to get me shuffling his deck here. So I stayed in those meetings for a while. I know I was a regular attendee of a Thursday noon meeting, uh, which was good because that's a closed women's meeting. I understand I never missed that. <laughs> I, I came here for, to this time of year. My, I celebrated my birthday December 18, 1972. The old timers later told me I came a week before Christmas and that's a week before Christmas. I don't know if that's the real day that I have, but I just, I celebrate that day, December 18th, every year for my birthday. So I won't pick on you, but the next time I see you, you're going to know exactly what day you got sober. We, those days are our days. Our days. Doesn't even matter if it's a real day. Pick a day. That's your day. And nobody can take that day away from you. That's your day. And when things get tougher, you wonder, what am I doing? Can I go to another one of those meetings? Do I have to do this stuff? I want you to remember the day before you come to Alcoholics Anonymous. Or that last week you was out there. Remember that time. Remember that time. You'll know you're doing much better today. You count that time. The time away. And it gets very valuable. Very valuable. And you'll treat it as a precious thing. And so I had my days and just going on. So I heard a guy in that meeting say, if you wash the coffee cups, you can stay sober. I went to the guy in the kitchen and said, I'm here to wash the coffee cups. He said, no, it's my commitment or something. So I just showed him my 38. And I just said, <laughs> So I'm not telling you to do that. I'm just telling you that's how I got my first commitment. So it's the program sharing. And so I washed the coffee cups. And then I heard if you pick up the chairs, you set the chairs, you can stay sober. So I went and did the chairs. And I'm a straight roll guy. 
you go to meeting with me, my chairs are straight, baby. And so I would do all the chairs. And then they'd call on me and I'd switch, switch meetings, switch clubs, because I knew if you knew who I was or anything about me, you wouldn't want me here. So I'm a vagabond all over, all over my area, just going to different meetings, always doing the cups, always doing the chairs, trying to stay here. I did that for, for around eight months. And I had a time I was so full of anxiety. I hadn't drank in eight months. I'd use, I mean, I'd been to meetings. I read chapter five sometimes. You know, I spoke every once in a while in a little meeting. And I was so full of anxiety, I couldn't breathe. I couldn't breathe. And I went to this meeting on a Sunday night to just to be with some people. I just had to go, you know, meeting I didn't go to. And I just went to that meeting. And I got there early. And these two old timers that I'd seen around, I didn't really know, but I seen them around. They went and got this new guy, brand new guy, and brought him to his first meeting and sat him down. And then they left because it was early before the meeting and they left. And then one guy's wife called back and said he went home and had a heart attack and died, died. And, and to tell this other guy to, to, to get the new guy. So the guy did his 12-step call and picked the guy up and brought him to the meeting and the guy died. So I went up to the new guy and said, hey, what's your name? And he told me, and I put my 38 right in his mouth. So if you ever drink, I'll blow your head off. <laughs> to honor the guy that picked him up, right? <laughs> Doesn't that make sense to you guys? Makes sense to me. And so why I'm telling you that goofy story is the next day, the next day I went to a little noon meeting. We didn't have a lot of noon meetings when I got sober. Most of the meetings were at night. And I went to this club where I had a noon meeting. It was the same club where this had happened the night before. And these old ladies, old gray-haired old ladies got me. <laughs> They wanted to talk to me after the meeting. I said, hey, finally recognize my talents here, you know? And so I said, sure, I'll meet with you. And so we met after, sat at a little table, a bunch of great old ladies, a couple of old guys standing there. I'm 31 years old at the time. And uh, 31 going on 96, I think. And this whole one old lady started cussing. My God, I never heard of an old lady grandma cuss like that. I didn't know grandma's new cuss words like that. And then she finally stopped and she said, David, this is what you sound like when you talk. We don't know what you're trying to say, but we know how you're acting. We want you to learn a new language, a new language of Alcoholics Anonymous. Look me right in the eye and told me that. And the other old lady looked at me and said, we, got, we see that gun in your belt. We're afraid of you. We're afraid, of, we're, we're afraid to laugh around you. We're afraid to talk around you. We're afraid you're going to go nuts and kill us all. And we don't want you to bring that gun to meetings anymore. If you have to take a gun to meetings, go to Laguna de Miguel. Just <laughs> meet it up. Right behind you told me that. And the other old lady said, You got to get a sponsor. So I don't want no sponsor. She says, Yeah, you got to get a sponsor. And I said, Oh, okay. Just a, so they leave me alone. And he says, Yeah, ask one of those guys over there. I'm like, Right now. I mean, I'm going to get a sponsor later. And so I asked one of those guys to be my sponsor. And the first thing he says, get your big book and be in my house Monday night at seven o'clock. We're going to read the book and work the steps. So I said, okay, I already did all that stuff. He says, get your book and be in my house Monday night at seven. So I went to his house, took me in his little kitchenette there and sat down. He said, okay, I'm going to be your sponsor. We got some things we got to do. I said, oh yeah, what's that? Oh, there's always rules. There's always rules, right? He said, you can't bring your gun to meetings anymore. I was going to ask him, do you mean the 40, my, my 38 in my pocket or the little 32 I carry in my boot? Because any fool knows two guns is better than one. And I said, I better not ask him that. It's okay, I'll try not to do that. 
He said, I'll ask you to try. I'm telling you, don't bring your gun to meetings. You don't need to go to meetings now, Fox Thomas. Nobody wants bad for you here. Everybody wants good for you. You don't need to bring the gun. You don't need a gun. Don't bring your gun to meetings anymore. I said, okay. So what else I got to do? He said, you got to stop taking the money out of the baskets. Because <laughs> who told you I'm taking the money out of the baskets? He said, everybody knows you're taking the money out of the baskets. I thought it was slicker. Tomorrow when you go to the meeting, once you put a little in, you put nothing in, you get nothing out. Put a little in the meeting and then put a little extra for how much you take it. I said, I don't know how much I take it. He says, you put a little extra and I'll tell you when to stop. 18 days, one month and 50 years. They have not told me to stop. <laughs> I don't think I got this much. If I'm going to be your sponsor. You can't sit in the corner by yourself. You have to sit with a group. I remember telling him, I don't want to sit with a group. You know what he told me? I don't want to be your sponsor either. But if I'm going to be your sponsor, you're going to sit with the group. Yeah, I want to sit with the group. Then he says, at the end of the meeting, we hold hands and we say a closing prayer. And I want you to hold people's hands. And you don't have to know the prayer. You don't have to believe in the prayer. But I want you to hold people's hands and be part of the group to close the meeting. They said, I ain't going to do that. I don't want to be touched. They ain't touching me. I ain't touching them. I ain't, I ain't, I, I don't, I don't, God and I are not on speaking terms. We don't, I'm not doing prayers. I'm not holding people's hands. He said, come on. He got, he stood up, started standing up. He said, come on, we'll go down to the bar and I'll buy you a drink. I says, I thought he was my sponsor trying to help me to stay sober. He said, I am trying to help you stay sober. If you want what we have here, you'll do what we do, not what you do. You'll do what we do if you want what we have. And what we do is we get together and we sit as a group. What we do is we hold hands and at least link up to say the closing prayer. He said, if you could do that long enough, you might learn the prayer. You might. And you might believe in the prayer. But right now, I just want you to be part of the group. And what that story is all about is my whole life changed. My whole life changed. Just, just that simple. Started seeing life through other people's eyes. I started doing the things that I knew was, was stupid. You know, sponsors tell you stupid stuff and you do stupid stuff and you feel good. You know, it's like, what is that about? You know, I went to the, went to the meeting. I always remember this. When you get a sponsor, you got to go to the meeting where your sponsor goes. So I went to the meeting where my sponsor went and he was sitting right where you're sitting. I got to the meeting and I'm there talking to him and I started straightening the chairs up. And he said, what are you doing? I said, look at these crooked rows. Can't stand crooked roads. He said, Oh, is that your commitment? I said, No, not my commitment. I've already been in this meeting before, but I don't like crooked roads. He said, Well, maybe the person that's setting the chairs and has that commitment likes crooked roads. And you need to learn to love and support them for the job they're doing. Sponsors tell you stupid stuff. <laughs> guys putting chairs up crooked and I'm going to love and support them. The same guys talking in the meeting that said the same thing that he said yesterday and I'm going to love and support them. That same people are just cutting me off on the freeway and I'm going to love and support them? What is this about that I got to learn, learn to do those kind of things? Learn to be David Barge and stand up for David Barge, but not against other people. How do I do that? You could stand up for me, but I don't have to stand against you. I don't have to chase the guy down on the road anymore. I don't have to follow the guy out of the media. Tell him how to do it. Stand for who I am and not against anybody else. So it's all worked out for me as you heard me say it, but I but I lived it most of my life, not liking now, 
and I'm doing, I'm good with now today because I've done some of those steps and I've left some of the stuff that I brought here, some of the anger, some of the shame, some of the fears. I, they're, they're, they've been removed from me by coming out and doing what you guys show me to do. And hanging out with you guys gives me the courage to do that. That's why we come to meetings together. We get the courage to do what other people are doing. And we come here and we do that. And I found out that now is when God lives. Right now. God don't live tomorrow and yesterday. Right now. And right now we're okay. Right now we're all good. Right now. Right now. In this moment. And to show you the power in now, I'm going to sit down. Thank you. <laughs>